Again, talk about the insecurity of an actor. Charlie was terrified the whole first year that he was going to be fired. He didn't know how good he was. I mean, one of the things that I always remember um, Diane saying is, when you're writing a script, I should be able to cover the name and know who's right, who's saying this. Hi, I'm Lauren Milberger. And I'm Jesse Mullins. And this is part two of our interview with Stephen Peterman. Yes, uh, here on FYI, the Murphy Brown podcast. Thank you for that. Hopefully you listened to part one. Please go back and listen to part one. Um, because I, I promise you we're probably going to reference something we said earlier and we were not thinking ahead that this would be two parts. No, um, <laughs> we were lucky enough to have more time with Stephen than we thought we would. It was great and we want twice the amount next time. So. Yes. <laughs> so we didn't want to say, oh, you know what, your time is up. Mm-hmm. He was a writer on the show mm-hmm. as well as uh, eventually became the executive producer with his writing partner, Gary Donzig. Mm-hmm. We hope you enjoy this one. Uh, please let us know uh, what, what you think about these interviews and if you want more of them because we plan on doing more. Yeah. Uh, you can find us on social media at Murphy Brown Pod, website murphybrownpod.com. Or you can email us at murphybrownpod at gmail.com. I'm really excited about the rest of this interview. You're going to have some really great stories, we promise. Yes. Please enjoy. Bye. Bye. We would love to hear the story of um, your transition from acting to writing. That's something Mm. that's very, very intriguing to us and unique in this group in particular. Um, Well, I mean, more people are are doing it. um, But I had, uh, I'd always loved writing. um, And I, but it's very hard. As you may know, um, mm-hmm. I still don't like it a lot, but I like it when I, it's like jumping into very cold water. You know, I it's really hard to jump in the blank. The first blank page, it's freezing. It's freezing water. And and I stand by the edge of the pool for a while. Um, but um, uh, I, I had friends. Um, from acting school in New York who had come out here and started writing. And they, they would say to me, you're, you're smart and you're funny. You should do this. And I, and I thought about it and I tried to write alone and that didn't come to anything. I tried to write with my roommate in New York who was still one of my best friends, but we were so much alike that it was not a good partnership because we both contributed the same things. And when we got stuck, we were stuck on the same things and couldn't help each other. So that didn't work. Um, then I meet Gary down in San Diego doing a play at the at the Old Globe Theater in San Diego, doing Miss Alliance. Um, uh, Gary is is as I'd mentioned, Gary's gay. There is a certain gay club at uh, uh, at the Old Globe, which me and one other and and the only other straight actor in the company felt like we're not part of the party. Um, we can't get into this group. It's there's definitely a feeling of uh, we're on the outside. Um, and that actor was uh, Gregory Itson, who uh, became President Logan on Twenty Four, and um, is a, a absolutely wonderful actor and one of my one of my dearest oldest friends out here. Um, but uh, um, Greg and I hung out together. We also found out we we'd grown up twenty miles away from each other in Wisconsin, um, and so we became best buddies down there. Um, and Gary was part of his group. Um, and we, we didn't have that much contact with each other, but when we got back to LA, Gary and I would often run into each other. We belonged to the same, um, gym. And as an actor, 
you spend a lot of time filling your days going to the gym. And I would bump into Gary at the gym um, and we'd, we'd chat a little bit. Um, but one day I came back from a particularly miserable audition. Um, I had done pilots. I had done sit, short, short orders, six episodes that looked like it was going to be a hit that didn't come to anything. I was always like this far away from success. I was on the first season of Square Pegs and um, – and then that show got canceled. Um, uh, I did. I did a bunch of series. I was on um, Paper Chase uh, for two years as a recurring guest, and never made the regular cast. It kept getting close, but I wasn't getting there. And I slowly but surely began to get beaten down by it. And I found myself at a place where I was auditioning for a. My agents had said to me, there's a great part on Hill Street Blues. It runs. Uh, he's in all four acts of the episode. Uh, I said, OK, I'll do it. So I go to the audition. I see 20 guys just like me. And the and you guys will understand this. You you said you, you look at the part and he does appear in all four acts. In the first act, he says, phone call for you, Captain. In the second act, he says, I think it's on your desk. In the third act, he says, who wants coffee? I mean, it was like that. And I, and I walked out of there like, what the f- am I doing? I am too, I'm too talented. I'm too smart. I went to college. Um, and I, run, I go to the gym to work out my frustration, and I run into Gary. And he, we talk. And I say, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of this. It's stupid. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about writing. And Gary immediately says, that's weird. I've been thinking about writing too. We should get together and knock some ideas around. And I think to myself, I have nothing in common with this guy. I don't want to waste an hour and a half. With and I say, oh, yeah, 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 we should do that. Oh, my machine's open. Um, great seeing you. I'll talk to you later. And I go work out. Uh, that night, Gary called me at home. He's still to this day doesn't quite understand exactly why he did it. Um, because he said later, I wasn't thinking about writing, uh, but I'm an actor and you said it, so I'm competitive. So I said, yeah, I mean, he, he was, it was coming up on regional theater casting time and Gary had done a lot of regional theater and he did not want to go out of town for five months again and, and leave his, um, his significant other. And um, so he called me because one of the things that, my spiritual guru, Gary, always has said is when you say yes, something's going to happen. It may not be exactly what you expected, but something is going to happen. You're nudging each other like this is something. Okay. You say no, nothing happens. Right. And I'm always the one who, to protect myself, would say no. So Gary calls me and he says, hey, um, what are you doing tomorrow? You want to come over? And I, and we, I've told this story to so many people, but it is true. I paused because I was so surprised that he had called. And I was so surprised that he had asked that I paused that little millisecond too long where I knew if I say I can't make it because of that pause, he's going to know I'm lying. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm stuck. Uh, so I said, uh, sure. Okay. Okay, I'll, I'll come over tomorrow. And I hung up the phone and I turned to my wife, 
who was the only one earning money in, in the house at that time. And I said, well, I'm going to go piss away an hour and a half at Gary Donzik's tomorrow. And she said, well, you're not doing anything else tomorrow, are you? And you can't go to the gym two days in a row because I know you said you have to rest your muscles. So why don't you go? Um, she's a wonderful partner. And we've been together for 42 years now. 40, 42, yeah, 42 years. Um, so I went to Gary's. And we sat down together. And because we are different enough, and, and yet we're both Jewish kids, we both have interesting relationships with our families. Um, we're both emotional in our own ways. We connected in a way that I would never have predicted. And within an hour, we had an idea for an episode of Family Ties, which became our first spec script. We connected in a, in a wonderful way that, that to this day, um, I, I love him like a brother. I love working with him. I love his neuroses. I love what he contributes um, to our writing. Um, and we, we worked together. Now, everybody has their different ways, but you talked about um, uh, our, our writing being character-driven. Um, it's because as actors, that's how Gary and I approach stuff. And I think it's how you guys do, right? We would sit side by side at the computer and we would act it out. Um, and um, unlike some teams where somebody fights, they fight to take control of the keyboard, we would, um, we would fight to avoid the keyboard. I always wanted to be as far away from the keyboard as possible. I was usually in a corner of the room because I, as I said to you before, I always felt like every script at a certain point was absolute crap. Um, and, and Gary was the one who would always say, just, just put something down, just put something down. We'll make it better. Because I was always like, no, let's work on that first sentence. Let's work on that first quarter of a page for like two months. Um, so we would improvise everything and we always needed it to be um, a to the emotional, the emotional track had to be a to B to C. You had to, you had to write it in a way that as an actor, you knew I can act this. I, if someone's having trouble acting it, I can tell them how to get there. Um, and it was really a very exciting thing when we started working um, and other writers would find out that we had been actors. They would invariably, we would have people come up to and say, okay, you're, you were an actor. When they come up to you and they say this, what does it mean? What are they talking about? There'd be this huge kind of abyss between the writers and the actors. And I loved being down on the stage and, um, and, and, uh, Working and seeing them, one of the big joys for me and one of the big surprises for me was that I loved acting when it was good, obviously, but it was it it was frequently difficult or hard, so hard getting the job. What was fun for me was to see actors like um, like Grant Shawd and and Charlie Kimbrough and uh, and all these guys, um, Joe Ruggabudo and and and. Uh, Eldon, um, particularly these guys who could take your words and they could make your, your 
good stuff even better than you had heard it in your head. And they could take your mezza mezza stuff and they could make it really good. And to be able to see you put something down on paper and somebody else deliver it and get that response from the audience, get that laugh from the audience or get that emotional thing from, that was a, that was a big treat. Um, but yes, for years, Gary and I felt, I think, more me than him, like we're, we're just actors playing writers. It took a long time to feel like a writer. Did the Emmy help? <laughs> Here's the, no. As a fact, and I'll tell you why. This is, this, is, uh, this is the wisdom of age. The night is great. I mean, when you win, although then you have to go up there and, and you feel like an idiot up there, and it's, it's always terrifying. Um, but um, uh, first of all, you get the Emmy and you, you, know, you do your little interviews and then you come back and you're, being, and you're at your seat and you're holding an Emmy. But you're holding it and everybody sees, oh, you got an Emmy and everybody congratulating you. And then you walk to the governor's ball or whatever and you're holding your Emmy and people are, hey, good for you. And then you put down your Emmy at the table and you go to get a drink and you're just another schmuck at the party. Um, so it's something that unless you're carrying it around, it it's like, it's you know, you're just that guy who was there without it. And then here's the other thing. You get an Emmy for something you wrote a year ago. The day after we won the Emmy and we were back at the office, we're in the middle of a script that once again was like, what the f are we doing with this thing? Oh, this is a disaster. And we're getting people calling, congratulating us. And it's like, I've got no time for that. I've got a script that doesn't work. And I remember we had we brought the Emmys to the office because everybody at the staff obviously wanted to see them. I got the Emmy on the desk and I'm screaming at the Emmy. Why? I won you last night. Why is this script so bad? To fix it. You fix the script. It's like the ultimate imposter syndrome. It's like you guys would take this back if you knew what was right in front of me right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, in hindsight, it's kind of cool. And my, I mean, the show won while I was on, we won, the show won three times um, for while I was involved, uh, three times, uh, twice as best show. So we, all the producers got one. And then Gary and I won once for writing. So we have three. And at one point my mom said, um, you know, it's so wonderful, but three is kind of unbalanced. Can I have one? So my mom has one on a pedestal uh, in her in her living room in Milwaukee and her friends. I mean, years ago, <laughs> it's so long ago. They're all tired of it, but they used to hold it up and give fake speeches. So it's nice for that. Now, um, since your scripts are so character driven, were there any particular guest stars that you really enjoyed writing for outside the regular cast? We got such wonderful people. Um, I'm just... Because of you guys, I am now just watching shows that I haven't looked at in 25 years. Oh, wow. um, and I will have more reminiscence for you at some future point if you if you uh, are willing to have me back on. Absolutely, uh, but yes. I can, I can tell you, um, I've just watched uh, from the first season, uh, or the first couple seasons, I watched, um, I, I could have danced all, or I should have danced all night. Um, it's it's the first one that we got on the air. We actually wrote one um, that was a Frank-centered 
episode. That was our first thing we wrote. And it, it never got shot. It was, I think, one of the only scripts in the first season that got kind of, and this is another point where Gary and I thought, well, we're going to get fired. Um, we're the only one of the, you know, everybody else's first script got done. Ours isn't. Diane gave us some reason. I think, I'm not sure how good the script is because I can't remember it, but I have a feeling it was a little too Frank-centric. And in the early episodes, they were really focusing on Murphy. And I think they may have pulled it for that reason. Um, then the first one we got on the air was uh, I Would Have Danced All Night. And I watched it because of you guys. And I think I told you in the email, it is, an, for me, an barely adequate first effort. Um, I find it uh, predictable, um, schmaltzy in a way. I think we may have been... Um, I think that we may still have been at that point where we were trying to make sure Murphy's likable. So, you know, the scene at the end where she goes to uh, the apartment of Murray Brown. Murray was played by a, a really a sweetheart named Lou Wills. Lou Wills had been this eccentric dancer, an acrobatic dancer on Broadway. Lou was married to Beverly Dixon, right? Um, okay, does Corby tell you this stuff? Um, right. And um, and was a fixture over there every week. And so it was really sweet and fun to have uh, Lou do the show. Um, but um, the scene where she goes to the apartment and, you know, she wants her tickets back, but they're so excited about going um, and she has her change of heart. It was um, it's kind of predictable in a way, um, but it was one of those things where it's like, oh, good for Murphy. She does the right thing. Um I look at I look at it. Um, there's some fun runs in it. Miles uh, and his date is good. I, I watching it again. I loved uh, Corky's um, Faith Ford's thing where um, uh, she says uh, to Murphy, um, "Oh, oh, Murphy, oh my God, it must be so hard." I mean, um, I've always been, you know, you're on the A list. I've always been the B, but to have been there and fall. One of our um, favorite. I love that. I think that's moments, very funny. Yeah. I think the little Jim Dial throwaway about having hosted the uh, inaugural parade with Valerie Bertinelli and the fact that she's matured is just a great Jim Dial kind of viewpoint. Um, but it's not my favorite by any means. It, uh, Gary had a wonderful theory that uh, every, I think it was a protective, self-protective thing, but that when you when you look at the great series, you remember it. You remember five, maybe five episodes a season, six episodes, if you're really lucky, that are great. And then there are some that are pretty good. And then there are some that are good. And then there are a few that are clunkers. Um, that, to me, is not one of my favorites. But then I, I got I, I watched the um, the one with Buck Henry as the um, uh, uh, as the uh, genius. Um, and I, that, that is when we began to hit our stride and that was a really fun episode to get Buck Henry on the show, yeah, um, yeah, that's pretty good. which was so cool. And, and Candace loved it because obviously she and Buck knew each other and it was a Candace early on was insecure, a little insecure about doing television. She was always worried about what her friends in the movie business would think. And until the show became what it became. Um, but, um, to have Buck on the show was, I think, was really great for her. And and he, watching that episode, the way he threw himself into it and into that character was so much fun. 
Um, and everybody had fun stuff to do in that episode. I, I enjoyed that watching that one a lot. Do you have any favorite episodes that you've written? You know, I'm going to, uh, I'll, I'll eventually, um, uh, in our next one, I'll, I'll give you, uh, again, cause I, Corby has a memory that is so phenomenal. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and, and we apologize because since she's the first person we talked to, we assumed that everyone's memory must be that way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she's a fountain yeah, of knowledge. So whatever Corby you can think. Corby is a, a miracle of nature. Corby is, Corby was my sanity. Um, Corby was Diane's secret weapon. Um, I don't think there's a snowball's chance in hell that uh, Diane could have done that show without her. Um, she is uh, one of my dearest friends. Now uh, we're going out to dinner um, again. We, we go out to dinner regularly and I love her to death. She remembers so much and she remembers things that I wrote. And I'm saying, I don't know if I wrote that. I mean, she's not on you. I remember when you pitched it. But I will tell you some of the ones I do know for sure. Um, uh, obviously, come out, come out. As I've told you, is is uh, a personal favorite. The the Christmas episode that we actually won our Emmy for um, is one of my favorites because again, um, how much time do you guys have? I feel like I've been talking forever. No, 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 no. no. You have, we, we went all, all the time. time that you want to give us all the time. All right. Well, I'll tell you uh, the the story behind um, the Christmas episode, um, uh, Jingle Hell. Uh, because this is, um, again, the shows that come out of real life, always the best, always the best stories. The first year on the show, like a lot of shows, you're working like crazy. You're exhausted. And, and as you approach Christmas, all you want to do is get to the Christmas break and have a few days off. Everybody's exhausted. Everybody's behind. Um, and you have to buy gifts for each other. Because everybody gets gifts. And it's like you wind up getting these stupid pen and pencil sets. And I still on my desk right now, yeah, I got it. I've got a little golf, a little golf ball clock from Tiffany's. It's a stupid thing. It's impossible to get a battery in it, but I've kept it for all these years because it was one of the gifts. Um, but you wind up with exhausted, all you want to do is see your family and you got to run out and buy these stupid presents for people that nobody, pen and pencil sets, you know, those little gravity ball things that click, click, click that nobody, that, that drive people crazy and they, they put in a box somewhere. So the second year of the show, we're approaching Christmas and Gary says, look, we all have so much more than we deserve. Um, we don't, we don't need presents. We don't want to go out and buy presents for each other. Why don't we just find three charities that, you know, run a gamut and everybody on staff and all the cast and crew, everybody can contribute to those instead of buying gifts for each other. And everybody says, Oh my God, Gary, that's fabulous. That's great. It's a great idea. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. So we picked three charities Everybody's giving. It's so easy. It's so good. We all feel better. We're, we're able to work. We're able to go home. We don't have to go run around and go to Tiffany's and look for stupid stuff. Um, and then Barnett Kelman, our Jewish director, sees Candace sneak into her trailer with a couple of shopping bags. And Barnett confronts Candace in her trailer. What's in a shopping bag? And she says, 
They're for my hair and makeup person. I mean, they, they work so hard and I, I have to give them something. And Barnett said, you can't do this. We made a deal. Everybody's supposed to do this deal. How's it going to look? You're buying presents and me, the big shot Jewish director, which I used in a speech for Miles. I'm the, the schmuck who's not giving presents. Well, it all fell apart. And, um, and Gary and I wrote this episode based on that. And we went to, there's a drugstore called Dana Drugs in Burbank, uh, half a mile from, from uh, Warner Brothers. And we went there and we walked around the tchotchke aisle and we just picked out the stupidest things that you could find. And things like two country boys peeing in a pond, uh, which was a... <laughs> which was, I think, the thing that, that Corky bought for Jim or Jim bought. Anyway, we found this Yadro stuff and these stupid, stupid things, which we imagine could be the last things on a shelf. And we wrote this episode and it was it was one. The table reading was great. Everything went great. Then during the week, for some reason, there was a certain point where the script just seemed to lose momentum and and we couldn't figure out what it was. And Diane took the script. And she went into her office and she wrote a little scene that is um, Murphy and Jim getting on the elevator together. And it's a little back and forth between the two of them. And I don't know how she knew this is Diane's one of Diane's many gifts. But that connective tissue, that scene somehow bridged a, a gap in the script. But her edition of that, I don't know, it's a page and a half or something, but it lifted the rest of the script back up to what we had heard on Monday, and it played like a house of fire on uh, on Friday night in front of the audience, and um, and it wound up winning us uh, the Emmy, um, which was which was great. And then we tried desperately with Come Out, Come Out. We wanted to we wanted to win Grant Shaw an Emmy. Mm-hmm. Um, we loved Grant so much. We loved writing for him. And we wrote that episode specifically in the hopes that maybe it could be an Emmy thing for him. Um, and we were always disappointed that we weren't able to do that for him because, uh, I mean, I love that whole cast. But Grant, I always looked at Grant and, and, and Grant is uh, is uh, 10 years younger than me. And Grant was exact. Grant and I, if I was the same Grant auditioned for the same roles I used to audition for. Um, he's he's cuter than I am, but we had a very similar quality. Um, and um, and I loved writing. I loved writing for all of them, but I, I enjoyed writing for Grant. So I hope maybe you'll indulge me for a moment. Could you talk a little bit about the development of Jerry Gold, if you can remember, or anything that... Um, because you wrote a lot of his episodes. Jerry, uh, I think the idea came, I think, from Diane. Um, or maybe Corby, but um, the idea of there were so many of these shock jocks around. Uh, I mean, Howard Stern was obviously a model, but um, but he would Jerry was much more political, um, uh, and and so he had a little bit of uh, Howard Stern shock jock in him, and he had a little bit more of the Rush Limbaugh thing in him. But um, he was a provocateur, um, and. Again, because the show was um, obviously liberal in its outlook, uh, and uh, and and we tended—I mean, Republicans were easier. They were much. They were easier to attack. Um, they were easier to make fun of. Um, although God knows we, we did have some funs with the Democrats, but um, it was it was great to have somebody who could punch back at Murphy. 
Um, it was a really, you know, uh, and so we loved, all of us loved the idea of that. And, um, uh, and, uh, he also, um, had a, a radio show of his own and, and he had a lot of these characteristics. And so as actors, Gary and I love when we, when we hear a voice, when we know who we're writing for and you've got that voice, um, it's, it's so much fun because uh, we, we would just play this guy. We would just play Jerry. And um, uh, he, was such, he was such a wonderful actor and so much fun to have on set. And, the, um, and he, was ballsy, uh, he was ballsy in a way that Candace really enjoyed. And so the, the chemistry between the two of them was so much fun. Um, and to write for him was such a joy because um, he – he another of those times where you whatever you wrote for him, um, you knew he was going to nail. And um, we just had a blast uh, writing for him. And um, and also um, uh, the reaction of everybody else on uh, in the cast to him. Um, Miles's protective, jealous reaction um, was always so much fun. I, I don't remember. um I don't, again, I, I don't remember many lines that I wrote, but one line that I know I wrote, which I always loved was when uh, at one point he comes in and he basically says, uh, to, to, um, uh, to Jerry, uh, you know, basically stick to your own kind. One of your, and, and Jerry says, I'm sorry, Miles, but the role of Maria has already been cast. That whole scene is, is, is really funny. I think there's one point, I think Jim is trying to figure out if they're sleeping in the same bed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he keeps sort of hinting, and Jerry, and Jerry just makes like a game show reference. There's just something about, and I, I've said this in other episodes, I have, I have a very special love of Jim. Something about the way he tries to deal with Jerry in general yes. is so familiar to me of the, the men in Northwestern Minnesota that I grew up with mm -hmm. and this attempt to try and, and stay distant and detached, but also this intense need to be invested in what is happening to Murphy. <laughs> and I just, I love watching him work He's with him. So Charlie was so wonderful in that role. And again, talk about the insecurity of an actor. Charlie was terrified the whole first year that he was going to be fired. Um, he didn't know how good he was. And um, we loved, I mean, one of the things that I always remember um, Diane saying is when you're writing, when you're writing a script, I should be able to cover the name and know who's right. Who's saying this. Yeah. We talk about that a lot on the show, yeah. especially Jim's lines. Yeah. Now, obviously there were certain expositional lines that you've got to get across that, and three or four people in the scene could say, but most of the time you, when, when you write that speech, that, line, whatever it is, it's got to sound like that person. And she was very, that was one of her big, big things. And I, I loved Jim's voice. I loved all these voices. They were so specific. Uh, uh, um, Frank Fontana was, was every insecurity that, uh, uh, that, uh, Gary had in a way. Um, Grant was, was tremendously in, you know, his character was tremendously insecure. Um, as a matter of fact, when we started, when we started working on the show, I remember saying to Gary after like episode five, Jesus Christ, how are we going to keep this thing going? She, she's rich. She's beautiful. She's successful. She's respected. 
where are the problems? And then we began to realize the problems are all ego problems. Oh, yeah. All these all these characters, no matter how successful they are, have tremendously insecure egos and frustrations. And um, Charlie, I, um, I got his voice for some reason. I loved writing Charlie. And I remember, again, one of the few lines that I remember early on, we had a speech for Charlie that I, 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 we were looking for the introduction to this speech. It was reminiscence. And I, I, for some reason, came up with the line, it was cold at the Yalu River. Damn cold. Set me free. Yep, set me free. We just covered that. And when, when, whenever I was trying to get into Charlie's head, Charlie's voice, that was the line I always started with in my head. Um, he was so, um, he was the honorable, he was the man of honor. He was the, he was the old school, the trench coat guy, the guy who had been with, um, uh, Edward R. Murrow in, in world war two, even though the math didn't work out, that was how he saw himself. He was the old school guy. He was an honorable man. He was a man who, who viewed women, you know, in a certain chivalrous way. Um, you know, and I loved uh, how he called her slugger. Oh, yeah. that's my favorite. And uh, he uh, he was absolutely a joy to write for. They they all were. I loved writing for all those those people. I was just gonna. Yeah, I, I'm assuming you can't talk about anything coming up with the reboot. I can't. I can't talk, but it's easy because I honestly don't know. Uh, we, you know, we're uh, the deals are apparently being worked out as we speak, um, uh, and. I just, uh, I'm looking forward to, it was a, it was a wonderful, it was a wonderful ride to go on in, in the first place. And we were there for six years and 150 episodes, Gary and I. And, uh, um, I, I look forward to being able to, to do it again and enjoy it because I used to drive to work every day thinking I'm not smart enough to write this show. I'm not funny enough to write this show. Oh my God, she's got to come out of that elevator again. What is she going to say? Why doesn't she take the stairs? It's, uh, it was, um, uh, it, it was a show that I never was able to enjoy while I was doing it. Um, I, it took me a long time to get to the point where I could be in the middle of production and just sort of enjoy the ride and know that it's a talented group of actors, it's a talented group of writers, we'll figure it out. Um, I, I did drive to work terrified all the time. And um, uh, I'm looking forward to being able to get together with those people now, knowing those voices as well as we all do, um, and, and get a chance, as you guys were talking about before, to, to explore their take on what's happening right now. Yeah, then you can be significantly less terrified this time. It would be very nice. It would be very nice because it's very interesting. I'm, I'm writing a little bit now with my son who has decided he wants to be a writer and is unfortunately talented enough so that I couldn't tell him, don't do this. Um, and I'm trying to instill in him um, a little bit more of that sense. He seems to have it a little more than I did, that feeling of we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. You can, you, you're in a corner. You can write your way out of it. Um, they always got written. 
They always got on the air. We never had to put up a sign saying, sorry, um, we couldn't figure this week's episode out. So, you know, everybody talk amongst yourselves and we'll be back next week. You know, they always they always get written. <laughs> That's the nature of the business. Yeah. Um, I mean, even doing this small little podcast, because it's so quick, mm-hmm. you have to kind of go, you know what? It's going to be what it's going to be. And this is how on to we're the feeling next today. Yeah. <laughs> well, I love the fact I, I am also a firm believer um, that when, if you do things because you love doing them, um, that's the best way. And um, the fact that the show resonated for you, too, in in this way. Um, I'll tell you one one more story um, about the impact of the show and the things that surprise you. Um, about f- five, four years ago, um, my son was, uh, in his junior year of college, we went back, uh, to his high, uh, to his high school for a fundraiser. And one of the fundraising items up for auction was a baseball tour. My son and I both love baseball. So I bid on and, and, uh, I won this tour of four East coast baseball stadiums. Uh, with this group. And it was a blast. We went back and my son was now old enough to go and buy the beer, which was very cool. Um, we saw games uh, in Washington at the new ballpark uh, uh, in, in Washington. We saw a game at Camden Yard in Baltimore. And we saw a game uh, in New York at uh, the new Yankee Stadium and it ended up with a day at Cooperstown and then in Boston at Fenway Park, um, where I had I had been to games uh, when I was in school. And we saw a great game at Fenway. It was a beautiful summer night. And at the end of the game, um, my son had a buddy from high school who was uh, at Tufts and was in Boston for the summer working. I said, call him up. It's it's like nine quarter to ten in Boston and uh, I'll take him out to a late dinner. So he called up his friend Connor and uh, Connor met us at a at a um, sports bar just outside um, Fenway Park in, uh, on Yawkey Avenue or Yawkey Street, whatever it is. Um, and um, we're sitting there, and it's a beautiful night, and we've seen a great game, and we're watching the Dodger game, because it's 7 o'clock in L.A., we're watching the Dodger game on the TV, and um, our our wait person comes up, young woman comes up and says, she comes up and says, hi, my name's Avery, and I'll be your wait person. And I said, Avery, that is a very unusual name. Um, is it a family name? And she said, no, no, it's just it's a name that my mom always loved. And I said, was your mom a fan? Were you named after the baby on Murphy Brown? And she said, oh, my God, how did you know that? And my son said, oh, you have no idea how happy you've made my father. <laughs> um, so I, we, I wound up talking to her. She, she went and got her cell phone and called her mother. And I talked to her mom on the phone. Um when you have a show in which you create, you know, you're involved with it, it has characters that people name their children after. Um, there were a lot of girls given the name Murphy. There were a few babies named Avery. But when you realize a show has had the kind of impact that that one had, um, it's it's such a it feels like I feel incredibly fortunate. And, you know, and then at, at a very late part of my career, um, doing Hannah Montana, um, I got 
I felt like at the beginning of the career and at, and at the tail end of the career, I worked with incredibly talented, beautiful women who became role models in their own way for huge groups of young women. Um, and um, to have been involved in cultural moments like those uh, for a kid from Milwaukee, you know, who used to watch um, The Tonight Show and think, oh, God, I want to get out there. I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I want to get there. It was, um, it's been really remarkable. Well, you know, uh, for me, and we sort of talked about four of, you know, people who looked forward to Mondays. Mm -hmm. For me, it was because I was bullied a lot. And so here was something where I could laugh and I could enjoy, but doing the podcast and sort of looking back at sort of, you know, childhood me, uh, I'm realizing that subconsciously it was because there was this strong woman. Yes, she mm -hmm. was funny and it made me happy because it was a funny show, but I think subconsciously I saw someone who was, could stand up to bullies, mm -hmm. something that I wasn't able to do at the time, or at least I would try mm -hmm. and it didn't work. And I don't know why that hadn't dawned on me. I mean, I knew that she was a role model, obviously, but it was something to want to emulate as well as making you know me happy at a time when I wasn't. I, t I come from, my mother is an incredibly strong woman. Um, my wife is a very strong woman. Um, I've, I've loved, I, I love writing for women, frankly, more than men. I find women more interesting to write than men. Um, uh, but Murphy was once, once we figured out, oh, she has her own insecurities and her own, and, and she has to, you know, she has to navigate her way through this. You were talking earlier about, um, dealing with being called bossy and, and how do, how do I modulate my, my, uh, voice or my approach to something so that I can still get my point across and so forth. Um, yeah, Murphy was Murphy was so much fun to write because we felt at a certain point we knew how to do it. We knew how to do it in a way where you could you could see her like a bull in a china shop, but you knew where it was coming from. She had her redeeming moments. She had her vulnerabilities. She had her passions and the things that she cared so deeply about and that were important to her. And and Diane's another Diane's you know brilliant choices. Uh, she had the alcoholism that she battled. She had the, the weakness, she, the, the character flaw, the character failing that she was constantly aware of and, and trying to surmount. And, um, it, it just, it made it such a rich character. Um, and when we would get scripts, sometimes every once in a while, someone would send a spec script. It was always tricky to read spec Murphy's because of legalities. You didn't want to read something that might be close to something you were doing on the show. But oftentimes the mistake that people made was they just made her angry or they just made her loud. And, and, uh, and we realized, Oh, okay, that's what we know how to do. We know how to do that thing that shows that there's more underneath. Um, and, uh, and, that I just, yeah, she, she was at that time, um, you know, she was, she was wonderful. Roseanne in her own way was like that too, uh, from a very different socioeconomic, uh, background too, but, but two strong women, um, fighting for their families, fighting for what was important to them. Um, and, uh, it was, 
And it was a, it was enormous fun to be in the room with Diane and Corby um, and, uh, uh, and learn from the two of them. I think something that I'm excited to see come back, and we, we talked about this in, in, I believe, in an interview, um, was, you know, something that we saw things that we've now lost in our entertainment. We grew up um, expecting that some of these things could be available, and they've kind of gone away. And, for example, in Roseanne, we don't see a true working class family very often anymore. You have uh, big houses that nobody could afford and a lot of ease of life that nobody in a situation like that could afford. And so seeing things like Roseanne coming back and Murphy coming back, one of the things that I... I grew up expecting out of my entertainment that Murphy provided was platonic relationships between men and women. Yeah. And yeah, how, that's interesting. how excited I am to see those kind of coming back to my screen and Frank and, and Murphy are, are so unique and special. And they're the fact that even when they try to have a baby, they can't get past that. There's never the glimmer of the maybe there's never the, the right. will they won't they. And I, I appreciate that so much because it opened the door for so many more stories. Mm. And the balance yeah. of comedy and drama, that's something yes. that we expected and uh, t tend to watch more dramedies now because to me, the cornerstone of what I want to see on television because of Murphy Brown is that balance. And, and maybe good sitcoms are shorter now because they're more commercials and so the, the character development and maybe some dramatic parts are taken out. Mm -hmm. But that's what always stood out for me and, and I guess gave me high expectations was that in this sitcom, you can still have a very dramatic real moment. Oh, no question, no question. And there are a, a few shows that do it. I will say, I mean, the middle... You know, which which was created by two of our wonderful writers who worked on on Murphy and 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 came up with lines and stories that are some of my absolute favorites. Um, but that that show obviously deals with um, a more a struggling family. Um, uh, and there uh, there are I've become a big fan of of the show Mom. Because mm -hmm. yes, uh, Emily, Emily yeah. Osmond, who, who was uh, the best friend on Hannah Montana, did a three show arc a year ago, year and a half ago. And um, I started watching the show to see her on it and fell in love with that show. And there's a show that deals really seriously um, with uh, alcoholism as well as very wonderfully comedically. But in, in the three show arc that Emily did, uh, she was a, a kid with an addiction who they take in, who winds up ultimately going out with a boy and, and uh, overdosing and dying. Um, so there are a few. The problem is I think that the uh, network has ceded a lot of that ground to cable. Um, so network tends to go sillier and bigger because they'll do it on FX. Yeah, exactly. Because the, the the dramedy and the and and the stuff that goes deeper goes to FX or one of the cable channels. Yeah. Is there anything that you can think of that we? I mean, obviously, we definitely want to have you on again. We'd and, love to have you also talking yeah. about a specific episode sometimes. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I'm and I'm going to do my homework and and rewatch because it 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 is fun to uh, to to watch them again and. Um, and remember those performances and remember um, those nights on the set. We, Diane always made, we always dressed on Friday night. We, uh, the, the guys all wore sport jackets and ties um, because it was like, um, she came out of theater in New York and I think there was a certain, it's opening night on Broadway. Opening and closing, you dress. Yeah, well, I'll, uh, next time I'll, I'll dress. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll put on a, a jacket and tie for you guys. Um, yeah, I think, um, I mean, that covers a lot of, you know, for, for now. And then I'll, I'll do some more homework and we can talk as you guys get deeper into the series. Um, 
we can we can talk about specific episodes. Um, but uh, it's obviously this is a treat for me to. Um, we all, all of us on the writing staff um, stay in touch. The original writing staff, we're all still close, and we often get we get together a couple times a year. Um, but again, I haven't looked at these episodes in 25 years, so it's really fun to have an excuse to to do it. We're happy to provide that. Yes. Well, thank you. I I appreciate the I appreciate that. And that's something that we hear from all the writers that we talk to is how close you guys were. And I think that's a testament to the show. Yes. It shows in the writing. It shows in the, the creation. Well, it was also um, Diane and, and uh, Corby picking the people that they picked. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I treasure those friendships. Uh, feel very lucky about that. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank We're, you so much for being on our little podcast. Oh, well, my treat. And uh, we'll do it again. Great. Thanks so much for your time. Bye. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.